Thanks very much, Jack. I think we've got a wooden preacher there, folks. Here we go, then let's um, look at the passage tonight. I'm going to read from verse 1 because Andrew asked us to mention the first three verses. I'm not preaching on the first three, but it's got a context of leading in. So I'm not preaching on slaves or masters. I'm preaching on that section on love of money, but it does have some context, so let's just read it. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believed in masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are your things you are to teach and urge on them. So get the idea within them first few verses about teaching, the order of the church, even with slaves and that. So then he context moved on. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant frictions between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and peace themselves with many griefs. Let's commend this word to the Lord. Lord, we need the guidance of your Holy Spirit to guide us through this word. We need, Lord, a hearts that are ready to receive it. Lord, just guide me and help me to say what I need to say and not say what I shouldn't say. Speak, Lord, in the stillness while we wait in thee. Hush our hearts to listen in expectancy. Amen. So as I've said, I'm not speaking on slaves and masters, just on, on that next section. So we'll continue our series tonight. We're looking at Paul's instructions to the young pastor at the church at Ephesus, to Timothy, regarding false teachers and the love of money. And then we widen the subject out so to some related issues regarding money. What do you call money? Dosh? Wonga? <laughs> I read, read one the night before it came out. Bangers and mash. I never heard that one before for cash. Rhyme and slang. So let's think about these, these words tonight. What are we seeing is, um, what I saw anyhow, false teachers and the love of money, what are we seeing? We're seeing those aspiring to materially riches in this life that consumes their lives. And within this section, I saw anyhow, um, a, bit of a bit of a sandwich, meeting a sandwich job. I saw two groups we'll look at, both with religious backgrounds or influences, a challenging text in the centre, which is godliness with contentment is great gain, or we brought nothing in the world 
and would take nothing from it. And also that misquoted, most misquoted text in the Bible which says what? What's the misquote? The love of? Or is it money is the root of all evil? Would you agree that's one of the misquoted texts in the Bible? So we're going to have a look at that. So first group. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant frictions. These people are of corrupt mind and being robbed of the truth and think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Robbed of the truth. The devil comes to steal and destroy, doesn't he? And he steals the word. We know that was in the parable of the sword, don't we? The word is stolen. So there's robbers out there. And the thief comes and destroys maybe that word that is meant to change lives, that is meant to bring people to a knowledge of the truth, that's meant to, to build up. But even within the Christian life, I pray for a few Christians who I find very contentious. Have, do you know anybody like that? Who would rather argue about words and efforts than find the peace and joy, Lord, of, of the truth of God. Um, I don't know if you know anybody like that. Maybe it's just me. I must attract them. But I've got a number on my prayer list. I think I mentioned one before who, who would rather... I'm not going to church, Kevin, because if they're not opening the AV, the old King James, and I ain't going to church, I think, What? Um, so controversies and malicious talk that drag down. So then, um, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching. So the first thought I want to bring to our thoughts is this. There is a teaching which is sound and for the godly. We receive it with meekness as the very word of God that can change and guide and build up our Christian lives. Nourishes. Contrary-wise, there is unsound teaching which leads not the growth in the Christian faith. By their fruits you shall know them. What does the teaching lead to? Does it lead to growth, to love of God, to a more desire for Christ-likeness, or does it lead to controversy and friction and conceit? I'm sure we'd smell false teaching out like a rat, if that came anywhere near this fellowship, because we know that we love God's word, don't we? And we know that God's word is there to build us up and to strengthen us. But these false teachers as well saw the Christian faith as um, not something of worth as in the riches of Christ, but as a means of financial gain. So within Timothy, we've already and all preached on those of the um, Grecian kind of concept of Gnosticism with knowledge. But there's also, we read this in, in Titus, um, for there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. This is verse 10 of 11. They must be silenced because they are disrupting all households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. False teachers aspire to riches, not spiritual ones, but worldly ones, over caring about material things. 
um, coming into the church of God, supporting gain his godliness. They are all consciences of his eyes are out of tune with the Spirit of God and the real treasure that is found in knowing Christ and having the true Christian faith. So money comes into this section of God's word tonight. And you could say, well, that's very topical. Here we are in a, a massive bout of recession that's coming on. Talking about 10% inflation this year. We're talking about um, world economics. And, and in the midst of it all, we think, well, has God got something to say to us tonight about finances and money, which we all need, but get it in the right place. And think of it, thinking that Godliness is a means to financial gain. And remember that. It was Jesus who was in the temple, wasn't he? Overturning the tables of the moneylenders. Why? What were they doing? Raking it in, selling the pigeons and the other animals off at a markup, even in God's house. And then I can think of two others. One is, that came to mind, there's many examples. But one was Simon the sorcerer. I'm preaching on him in August in the context of another scripture, but remember, he wanted to know how to lay his hands on people and give the gift of the Spirit um, so he could add to his um, repertoire of his sorcery and his magic. He thought that's what it was. And the classic example has got to be Judas Iscariot, isn't it? Andrew mentioned this recently. He loved the bag, didn't he? He had the money... He was with the master. He's one of the twelve. And yet, his whole heart was more loving to financial gain. Remember, he sold out the Lord for those 30 pieces of silver. And we know how all that panned out for him. So a question at this point. Are there still charlatans out there peddling false teaching, which will hopefully lead to financial gain? The answer is yes. Is there still gullible Christians who are prepared to line the pockets of shortens? I would say yes. When I was preparing this, I read this blog, just in my studies, which says this, quote, Is it simply too easy for con artists to prey on, to prey on people of faith? Why do religious groups make such easy targets? For one, a swindler who professes the same faith or belongs to the same congregation as an easy time of earning trust, however misplaced. Duped investors, meanwhile, also hesitate to suspect or report of one of their own. So, I was reading this, and I couldn't believe it, that same day, up on Facebook, comes a friend request from Ladano, Christian from 40-plus years back, who I used to work with. Still a Christian, still walking with the Lord. Oh, I thought, ah, nice day from Ted. I haven't heard from quite a while. So I responded. <laughs> and suddenly on this, on this Facebook came up, Kevin, have you received your money yet from the government? What? And he said, William. That's it. He never, I thought, William? Ted, call me William. So I followed it through. Anyway, I'm still listening. He says, well, have you got your money yet? And I'm saying... No, I think I replied, don't, I, you know, it's quite okay, the Lord's blessing us, what, you know. Anyhow, the cool long story short, so a lot, lot more to say is, it wasn't Ted, it was somebody who'd actually um, 
what's the word, image he's sent me. And he was desperately saying to me, um, will you click on this text, man? Just click on it. Click on this link. William. And I come back and says, no, I'm not going to click on this. Um, Ted, it's not Ted. And I said, it's not Ted speaking, is it? He says, you're a scammer. <laughs> um, do one. And then I went down to Ted's, told him what was going on, and we changed his Facebook password and sorted it out. But the lure was, you're missing out on some cash, Kevin. All you've got to do is click on the link. Well, I didn't. So I suppose I got the word, and I said, well, the Lord's blessed us. So if nothing else, I said, I don't need any more cash. The Lord's blessing us quite well, thank you, at the minute. But there's scammers out there. True, every single day you know it, there's a phone call coming up. Um, we want to give you a rebate on, on this, that, or other. Is that right, True? You owe some money off your washing machine. I like to say, well, tell us what your washing machine is. I've got no idea, but want to give you some money. Well, oh, come. Anyhow, I'm, I'm digressing. I'll not go there. So the second group within this is some, again, with a religious experience and maybe a generalisation about um, those who pursue money, even with a genuine faith. It speaks of those, and he uses the sort of understanding, like an animal that's walking along, and suddenly that trap is there, ensnare them. And they go off the straight and narrow, and the peace with many griefs. Off the, off the straight and narrow, and again that favourite um, verse of, I know Franks loves this hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, how I fail it. <laughs> and there's so much temptation out there, isn't there, in the world, to guide us, to drag us away from the true faith and following the Lord. And, th- and we fight against the devil, the world and the flesh, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So people ensnared, and once those tentacles of temptation comes, um, the person is led from one need to another, one craving to another. And we know that a lot of the crime in the world that we live in is people with drugs and everything else. It's because people want money to satisfy their base needs. And their base needs isn't, well, I don't just want food and a house and a roof on my head. I want a 60-inch television on the wall. I want the best car. I want to have my drug habit. Or whatever. And it takes over the lives. So in the midst of this sandwich is Paul turns and tries to instruct Timothy that he might get an understanding of that the truly godly person is not motivated by earthly treasures. Um, He's more interested in those riches that are found in God and in Christ. The fleeting treasures of this world will soon pass, but the real contentment is found in our peace with God, our spiritual joy, our assurance of salvation. But we need to be aware of the traps. For godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing in the world and we can take nothing out of it. But we have food and clothing and we are content with that. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So I want to have a, have a look at that, that verse. What is godliness? Does somebody wake up one morning and say, I think I'll be godly. 
What does it mean? Godliness, Christ-likeness, being like God, being, and when we read about God, holy, a God of truth, a God of love. Can somebody just wake up one morning and say, I think I want to be that godly man or woman. I think I'll be religious and be godly. Well, nothing wrong with waking up and saying that, but you need, first of all, for something dramatic to happen, don't you? You need to be born again. It's impossible to impost, isn't it, the Christian life that must be the hardest thing in the world for somebody who is not born again to try and live the life that God wants us to live. So godliness is what? First of all, it's an act of God that makes someone born again into that position where one minute, like I was in my early 20s, walking along the road of worldliness, and suddenly God comes into my life, begins to work in various ways, back to the Catholic Church at first, and then conviction as men became saved in the place where I work. You've heard this before, but hallelujah, then that process where I want to walk and please God. And that's the beginning of godliness. But godliness is also as truth revealed by the, God, by the word of God. You read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walketh not, and this is from the King James verse, unless you're reading something different, who walks not in the counsel of the what? Ungodly. Nor sitteth in the seat of sinners. And then in the second part of that six verses of Psalm 1, the ungodly are not so. Um, their fate is um, like the chaff being blown away. So we see the word of God being massive in godliness. We receive the word of God with meekness. Remember these false teachers were conceited, malicious, causing strife. But the true Christian does what? I trust we do. Receive with meekness. When we come to church, we hear God's word preach. We want to do Feed our souls, don't we? We want to fill our hearts with joy. We love the word of God. So the Bible is something that we receive and we receive it in the, in the understanding. One of my favourite verses is in Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Hallelujah. I love to preach that one. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it's dynamite. To believe that the gospel is dynamite. Dunamis, dynamite. And godliness, more than anything else, is truth that's received and truth that's applied. So the disposition of our soul is that we receive with meekness and then as um, Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10 it says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So true godliness will develop and bear fruit. It'll have its roots in God, like that vine that we read about. Um, not like the false teachers. Their roots is not in God, but in worldliness and in really their, their motivation for gain. Praise God, the, the true godly man or woman is being changed from glory unto glory by the Spirit of God. So godliness with contentment is 
Great gain. I thought about that second word, contentment. And I thought of contentment. What word comes to mind? What thought comes to mind when I think of contentment? I think of a baby. Contented baby. What is a contented baby? Now, you might disagree with this. One that's loved, one that's fed, one that's secure, one that's clothed. Not hard to get the analogy from that for the Christian. A contented Christian is one that's loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know. Fed, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Hallelujah, we are fed, we are secure. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous flee into it and are safe. And we are clothed with what? I know more than anything else that I'm a sinner. I know more than anything else that all my righteousness is as filthy rags. But I know one thing more than anything else as I've grown this Christian life that I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ because he died for my sins. And I've got a designer suit on tonight. You cannot see it, but I have. And it's all from him. It's not Jasper Conran or anything like that. It's Jesus Christ's righteousness clothing me. So the Christian is all these things, or riches, not like the false teachers and those who are seeking after the riches, is that our riches in Christ, our salvation, our sins forgiven, our inheritance incorruptible. With the mansion being prepared, the promise of a new heaven and earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. He's our good shepherd, our friend. And I preached on this recently at another church. He's our high priest, our mediator, our intercessor, our surety, our advocate, our mediator. And we can rest secure, not only that our sins are forgiven, but hallelujah, that God right now is seated at the right hand of God, showing the, the measure of his salvation for us, for me, for you. And that's an assurance, isn't it? I really was blessed by Tim Chester's book, Forgiven. And I got a lot of gleanings for that for a sermon that I did recently because I was so blessed in my soul, I wanted to pass that blessing on to others. But country-wise, a bit like my phone does all the time, I just discovered today why it's doing that. I'm not very tech-serve, but here we go. What country-wise, what causes, if the secret of contentment is, godliness with contentment is great gain, why are there so many discontented Christians? What brings discontentment? Why do some believers not be content? Why do they not flee to the house of God to hear his word? Desire prayer. Desire to read God's word and fellowship. Why in a country that's so rich like Great Britain, not a poor society with um, roof over our heads and a, a relatively good standard of living, in Great Britain, one of the top... Um, GDP within, within the nations of the world. Why is it that people are not content? Even in my days in Silsworth, I remember one car in the street in Edward Street. 
Now every, every single space is filled. Um, a rich society. So what's the reasons? The reason is, I believe, and I my understanding of what God showed, it's, it's obvious that people forget that Christian, you're in a battlefield. The devil, the world, and the flesh. And we have, and the devil's out to ensnare through these things. To get people off the track of following the narrow path of God, of fellowship, of prayer, of service, of work in the Christian life to distract them. Now why do I say that? So here's a few things that I believe causes discontentment. One is a wrong value of riches. Where do I get that from? The message to the church at Laodicea. Remember he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Why? You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, be fine in the fire so that you become rich. White clothes to wear there so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So there's one reason. Lukewarm Christianity, now that's not cold. Why? Because people think, well, do I really need God? <laughs> I've got doing quite well at the moment. That was the church at Laodicea. Wrong. Value of riches. Next one is, I've thought about, was the sin of covetousness and envy. We need to re-check ourselves on these things. Another one of my favourite psalms is Psalm 73. Remember um, that song of Asaph? I was envious of the wicked <laughs> when I saw their prosperity. When I realised, he even says, they don't have the, the problems that I've got. And, and he looked at it and he saw it and until God broke through. We know the story, don't we? Till I went in the temple of God and saw their end. That really, they were on a slippery path. But he thought he was on a slippery path. Why? Because the devil had gotten in and caused them to look at the world, enjoying themselves as he thought with their prosperity. And again, in Matthew in the New Testament, we have that sin then of wrong value of riches, the sin of envy or covetousness, and also the, the sin of divided loyalties. We read about the treasures in heaven, well-known verses, don't we? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And at the end of that, just for time, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Divided loyalties, lukewarm Christianity, envy and covetousness. We have to watch them snares and traps that the devil, the world, and the flesh bring before us, and that we remain focused, and that we consider him who died for our sins. And at the end of the day, 
Um, it says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. The great gain is our riches in Christ. But think about this, one last challenge tonight. Gain and loss, the gospel. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his own soul? If somebody came along tonight and says, I've just found a lottery ticket from last week's year one, believe it or not, might have all those numbers on, 150 odd million or whatever. I'll give you this, if you renounce your faith, would anyone do that tonight? Not a chance, not a chance. But you get the idea. Uh, the devil would come in with that snare. And God's not interested if we have food and clothing, let us be content. God's not interested in our bank account, is he? In our possessions. He's interested in our sin account. That's why he died for my sins and died for your sins. So if we have food and clothing, let us be content, says Paul. I'll come to that in a moment. What is the true riches in that day? When we can say to God, and it's something I love saying from him, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Got nothing else to bring before God tonight, have you? Nothing else but Christ and Christ alone. Our riches in Christ is all that we need. And Paul says, Paul said he'd learned a lesson about contentment, hadn't he? Read um, Paul saying, the secret of contentment by a New Testament Christian, the Apostle Paul. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and everything, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Have we got the place in our life that we can say, whatever God has allotted to us, whether, whether lots or little, that we are content and can be content that God has blessed us relatively with our wealth or, or lack of it or whatever. You, you know what I'm trying to say. And then again, here's the thought. Is riches a gift of God? Is contentment the rich of God? And I came across this thought in the Old Testament by, from Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Think about the sovereignty of God, contentment with our wealth and possessions. Is this a gift of God like faith and salvation? Interesting scriptures that I read. I'm going to read them. Solomon says in chapter 5 these verses, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are there to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sleep where they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance forbids them no sleep. And then this is what he said. This is what his observation. I like this. This is what I observe to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, drink, 
and they find some satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. Interesting, isn't it? It's a gift of God. That you can go through this life and join your work and labor. What in God wants you to enjoy the fruits of that labor? And he says, they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. So things in the right place and the right position. And a bit like um, Jack woke with sin on, well done Jack, on verse 7, says, for we brought nothing into this world and we take nothing out. We brought note in and we'll take note out. And that's a 100% certainty. There's no pockets in shrouds. We all know that verse. Saying sorry. But I like this thought again. Again, I must have really enjoyed Tim Chester because some things stuck in my mind. And I love what he said at one point. He brought attention to the Victoria and Albert Museum. And he spoke about going to see the Egyptian section and all the glass cases and all the burial goods that had been took out of those tombs and they were still in glass cases. Well, they were supposed to actually go with the pharaoh to the next life, weren't they? But there they were still now in the glass cases in the Victoria and Albert Museum, proving the point that they had to be seen. They ain't gone nowhere. They hadn't found a way around the fact that you bring nothing in and that you take nothing out. I'm nearly finished. So some very last thoughts. Ecclesiastes said this, The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I don't know if that's true. Maybe some do worry about their wealth. I'm sure they do. But someone might be saying tonight, never mind the rich, Kevin. I worry about food, clothing my family, and it's wearing me out mentally, and I don't know what to do. Now, it's easy for me to say, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, and your body more than clothes, look at the birds of the air. We know that, and there's a place for faith, and it's right, isn't it? place for faith and believing that God will provide. But I'm trying to get some balance, and I meant to ask one of the elders on this, so if I've seen something wrong tonight, you can shoot us down. If anybody's in real difficulties, speak to the elders of the church, or speak to somebody in authority in the church, because I'm sure tonight that if anybody was in a real desperate situation financially and they needed support, that the church would come and help. Now, if I'm wrong, you'll say, no, Kevin, I'm going to point them all to you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Am I right in saying that, folks? And one last point as well. There's a place for trusting, there's a place for sharing when there's real need. That's why we heard all the teaching about widows and widowers, didn't we? But it also has a wider impact as well for the church as well. The love of money does not mean that you reject every desire. Is it wrong for a Christian to want a raise at work or promotion? 
Is it wrong for Christian organisations? Um, well, we could see Andy doing his promotions for We Side Here for Christ. It's not wrong, is it? Is it wrong for the likes of Green Pastures who are doing a fantastic work of rehousing the homeless, but they also are investing a lot of the capital in, in the property market so that they can gain advantage from the growth in the prices of housing so they can feed that money into their organisation so they can get more properties. How does that sit with you? Are they using the system to improve the chances of bringing the homeless off the street? So there's quite a good debate there. I don't see anything wrong with that, personally. Final word. Well, Jack, you did say you might be preaching a long time tonight, might not you? No? Here we go then. Final word is this. <laughs> Let's hear the final thought from God's word in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, which says, nothing else sticks with you tonight, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence. What do we say with confidence? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Shall we all say that together? Cannot remember, can you? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Amen. Amen. Lord, we pray your word will find a resting place in our hearts tonight. Lord, we know the world seeks to ensnare us and trap us. We pray, Lord, that we'll keep our eyes free from the love of money and our eyes focused upon you where our true riches are. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Part us with your blessing. I ask in prayer that when to him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.